continue our journey through 1 Peter together this Lord's Day morning. 1 Peter chapter 1, picking up in verse 22. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. Hear now the word of the living God. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Because all flesh is as grass and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers and its flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now, this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. This is the word of the living God, and we say, thanks be to God. Amen. Please be seated. Let's pray. Now, O Lord, we sit beneath your word. We pray that the voice of Christ, our loving and tender shepherd, would be known to us, his sheep, that you might comfort us and feed us and gather us again into the fold Lord Christ, by your spirit, that your word would be our food and that you would encourage us in it this day. In Jesus' name, amen. What is it that the gospel makes you do? Notice the way that the question is worded. The gospel is not what you do. It is what Christ has done. But it does make us do certain things. What does the gospel make you and make me as believers do? In fact, how is it that we are as Christ's people are noted by what we do as people who are resting in Christ alone through the gospel? It's a a little strange to us perhaps today, but. In certain cultures, many of us come from the history of these cultures, it was not uncommon for individuals to find a surname or a last name based on what their family did. For instance, centuries ago in England, many of you have family that come from that part of the world, it was not uncommon for your last name to be what you did. In fact, my great-grandmother's last name was a very common name, the name Smith. And that name, by all accounts, derives from what people hundreds of years ago did. They were blacksmiths or some other kind of smith. Your family was known to the world by what you did. It's just strange to us today because in 2023, you're not necessarily guaranteed, and I think we rejoice in this, You're not necessarily guaranteed to do what your father did and his father and his father. You're not necessarily going to do exactly what your mother did and her mother and her mother. But centuries ago, that was the case. There wasn't really a choice. Our family is a blacksmith. You will be trained, son, as a blacksmith. In fact, our very name comes from what we do. Who we are as a family is known to the world by what we do. 
In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 23 through 25, we're not talking about a last name, but we do get a little bit of a picture. We have been brought into a family by the Spirit of God. We have been, as the text says, born again. And Peter envisions, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that we will be known by what we do. And what is it that we do? Well, there's one main verb in this passage, and it is in verse 22. Love one another fervently. That's what we do. It's not what saves us. Christ and Christ alone saves us. But we are marked by what we do. This passage says in its command... Love one another fervently with a pure heart. That's the main focus of this passage. Peter has been calling us strangers in this world who've been born again, who are headed home to an inheritance. Your passport is not stamped by the Babylon of this world, Peter would say. You live as peculiar exiles, as Christians. But you are headed home to an inheritance brought about by the salvation of of Christ, a salvation that the prophets long to look into and that angels to this day look into with great joy. Therefore, there are certain things that we do. We looked at some of those last week, didn't we? Here, directly connected to our reception of the gospel is a fruit of the gospel. Notice what verse 22 says. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth, through the Spirit, in sincere love of the brethren. It's almost as if Peter envisions that having the Spirit convince us of the gospel, it is very directly into the love of the brethren that we've been brought. And so the command then comes in verse 22. Love one another fervently. I submit to you, brothers and sisters, that as we look at this passage, this text gives us at least three reasons why we are to love. Or perhaps said differently, three areas that are the basis for this command. And really, this is the Christian hope. Whenever we're commanded to do something in Scripture, there is close by always, always a foundation that God has done in us. God has done this for us in Christ. Christ has bled for us, so this is what we do. Christ was raised for our justification, so this is what we do. On and on and on, the scripture provides a foundation for why we act the way that we act, which is important for us to remember. We need to say this in our day where there is much confusion about the gospel. We're going to spend the next few minutes looking at the command to love, but make no mistake. You are not brought into the family of God as a Christian based on your ability to love other Christians. Your security before the living God is in Christ. It is not in your ability to love other Christians. But because you are in Christ, you have been born again into this love of the brethren and the command comes. So we are known as a family by what we do. Let's look at these three reasons then. Three undergirding foundations for this command to love. The first is given to us in that first phrase in verse 22. 
It is because our souls have been purified. We are to love because our souls have been purified. Look at verse 22. Since or because you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another. Because of this, love one another. So let's look at this phrase. Since you have purified your souls. Of course, the larger context of the previous verses come into view. What do we read there? Well, in verse 19, we see the ground of our souls being purified. The washing tool that has purified us. What is it? Verse 19, the precious blood of of Christ. Your soul has been made pure by the precious blood of Christ. Not a corruptible soap that passes away, not a bleach that will break down. Your soul has been purified by the precious blood of Christ. But notice what our text says. Your soul has been purified in obeying the truth through the Spirit. Now what does it mean to obey the truth. Well, let me give you the answer and then let me walk you through how we get there. Obeying the truth means receiving the gospel. Now, that may sound strange to us. We've seen this already in First Peter. We've seen it in other books of Scripture. But often in the New Testament, our reception of the gospel, our receiving it by faith alone, not of works, is pictured as obeying something. Now, that need not confuse us. Peter and Paul with him in other texts are not saying it is a work that we do that saves us. But rather, the gospel is proclaimed and we receive it. We obey it. We bow to it. Notice, for instance, that Peter has already dealt with this. Look at 1 Peter 1, verse 2. He calls us pilgrims of the dispersion. Verse 2, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Obedience there pictured as our reception of the gospel, of Christ's blood. Many of you remember years back when we went through the book of Romans. Romans actually comes with two bookends. Romans chapter 1 verse 5. And then chapter 15 and the very last verses of chapter 16. What are the bookends of the, God, of the book of Romans? Obeying the gospel. That's how Paul marks the entire theology book of the Bible, if you will, the book of Romans. Receiving the gospel is what is meant by obeying the truth. And it is the receiving of the gospel that has purified our souls. Notice as well, that in many versions, and I think rightfully so, there is that phrase, through the Spirit. We don't receive the gospel, we don't obey the truth of the gospel in our own strength. It is by the Holy Spirit of God. It's by the Holy Spirit of God. You can see one example of this. You can turn there if you like, but Acts chapter 15, Acts chapter 15 and verse 9, listen at the Jerusalem Council to the way that Gentile believers are described. Acts chapter 15, 
Verse 9, so God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us, and made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. You know, we often use the word Christian to describe who we are. The Bible really uses several other words more dominantly. It calls us believers. It calls us saints. The book of Ephesians, almost 30 times, calls us in Christ. But in several places in the New Testament, you are described as a purified heart. That's who we are. If we are in Christ, we are purified hearts. And so, what is Peter saying? Because our soul has been purified, we are to, we are free to. Love the brothers and sisters. Boys and girls, that word brethren, we don't often use that word. Some Bible translations use it. Others use the word brothers and sisters. And that's what it means. It means that we love. Christians are to love and we are marked. We are known by loving our brothers and sisters in the faith. Now, we don't do that perfectly. I don't do that perfectly. But it's a little bit like the name that we get when we join the family. Christ brings us into the family and our family business is love. And the first reason is because our souls have been purified. Now notice it says insincere love of the brethren. Sincere there could be translated literally from the Greek word as unhypocritical. So there's a qualification here. We have a love that is unhypocritical. And this shouldn't surprise us. Do you remember the words of John 13? John 13, verse 24. There. In John 13, excuse me, verse 34. Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you. That you love one another. As I have loved you, that you also love one another. Matthew Henry, that great Puritan commentator of Scripture from the 1600s, writes these words on this passage. Quote, he supposes that the gospel had already had such an effect upon them as to purify their souls while they obeyed it through the spirit. And that it had produced at least an unfeigned love of the brethren. And thence, he argues with them, to proceed to a higher degree of affection, to love one another with a pure heart, fervently, to purify the soul, supposes some great uncleanness and defilement which had polluted it. And this defilement is removed. End quote. And Henry's absolutely right. The purification of our souls has removed the defilement of sin, and we are now brought into the family where our family business is... Loving one another because our souls have been purified. But there's a second reason in this text, isn't there? Not only are we to love because our souls have been purified, but secondly, because we have been born again. Now, boys and girls, I don't know if you remember several weeks ago, we saw this phrase born again. It's in the first few verses of first Peter. And to be born again is a spiritual kind of thing. You you don't go back into your mommy's tummy and be physically born again. 
But your heart, your soul, who you are is reborn by the Spirit of God when you become a Christian. And that is what is discussed here. Peter's picking up on that theme. It is because we have been born again. Look at verse 23. Having been born again. Notice, friend, love flows out of an already saved status. Not love is the reason that we are saved. Think about this. Today, when you leave this room, some of us might be convicted that we could love others of us better than we do. Let not that conviction for one moment cause you to wonder if due to your lack of love, you don't deserve the family name. You are not saved because you have a wonderful ability to love the saints. You're saved because Jesus Christ took on your sin and he bled and died specifically for you. That he was raised on the third day for you, Christian, that before he went to the cross, he lived a perfectly obedient life wherein his love was perfect. You are clothed in the righteous record of the perfect lover of brothers and sisters. That is the foundation of your salvation. It is not in your ability to love, but having been clothed in him, having been born again, having your soul purified, you are now in the family and the family business, if, if we could say it that way, is love. Interestingly enough, both the previous phrase, you have purified your souls, and this phrase, having been born again, are in a a tense in the Greek language which signifies something that's already happened in the past and continues to be the case to the very present. You weren't born again, period, end of story. That's something in the past, let's look for new things. No, you've been born again and that echoes into your very present. That's the the view we have here. We are to love Because our souls have been purified and because we have been born again. Peter picks up on this theme in several places. Fast forward to 1 Peter 2.17. Look what he says there. Honor all people. Love the brotherhood or the brethren or the brothers and sisters. Or fast forward to the next chapter. 1 Peter 3.8. Finally, All of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another, love as brothers. And who can forget 1 John, the entire book, all five chapters, but 1 John 3, where we are said to love one another because God and Christ has loved us. Now notice Peter gives some description of this being born again. That is a foundation for the command to love. Once again, what we're told to do and who we're told to be is based on who we already are in Christ. Having been born again, notice the next phrase, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible. Now this is likely the third time where Peter already, just in the first chapter, has used language like 
corruptible versus incorruptible or perishable versus imperishable. It's a theme for Peter. It's almost as if Peter is saying, hey, what you have here on this earth is fading away. It's perishing. But who you are in Christ is not going to fade away. Remember that? We, we have an inheritance, verse 4, that is incorruptible. In verses 6 and 7, the testing of our faith is compared with gold that, what, perishes. Here, Peter picks up on that theme again. You remember in verse 18 from last week, we were redeemed with things not corruptible, but incorruptible. So what is this word here now? Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible. What is the seed? Well, as we'll see in a moment, it is the word of God. It is the word of God. This is the incorruptible seed. Think about this, boys and girls. When Mrs. Davidson and I go to plant our garden in, well, who knows, in a few weeks, months, whatever it is. We're going to put seeds in the ground. What happens when you plant seeds? Well, seeds die. And hopefully, if you water them and you weed and you're, you're really focused, what happens? Plants grow. But see, the seed that we have been born with is not a, a corruptible one. It's not going to die. Earthly seeds die and bring fruit that fades. The word of God is incorruptible or imperishable seed. And in the context, the seed or the word is the gospel. It is okay for us to look at these verses and say, well, that's the entire Bible. That's fine. But notice what he says at the very end. Now, this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. This is the context. The word is the gospel. Peter says this in verse 25. He says it again later on in 1 Peter. Notice what he says in 1 Peter 2, 8. Speaking of unbelievers, they stumble being disobedient to the word. Or... 1 Peter 3, 1, wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word. What's being referenced here is unbelievers who haven't received what? What is the seed? What is the word? It's the gospel. In this context, it's the gospel. In fact, this is the case all over the New Testament. Ephesians 1.13, Philippians 2.16, Colossians 1.5, Hebrews 13.7, just to name a few. The incorruptible seed is the word, specifically the word of Christ, the gospel. And notice what the text says. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives. This incorruptible seed lives because it causes the heart to live. Look at verse 3 of chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again, or borned us again, to a living hope. 
our new birth. Secondly, is the reason that we are to love. Our new birth has put us in a common family. Because our souls have been purified, because we have been born again, we love one another. How could we not love? How could I not look at you and increasingly, how could you not look at me and increasingly say, the work of the gospel of God is glorious in the life of that individual. And you don't need to know all my sins. I don't need to know all your sins. But now the truest thing about you is, is, is not which ethnic family you come from, not, not what color your skin is, not what language you speak, not what job you do. The truest thing about you, the thing that marks you for all eternity is what? You have been washed in the blood of Christ. And that is what I've been washed in. And we see one another now through that lens. So how can, how can we not have a growing affection for another object that the Son of God died for, you see. So because our souls have been purified, and because we have been born again, Peter says, love one another. Love one another fervently with a pure heart and unhypocritically or sincerely. But there's a third reason in our text that Peter gives, and that is because this word or this seed of the gospel is sure. Thirdly, we are to love because the word of the gospel is sure. Notice what he says here. Again, verse 23, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever because. And then Peter's going to do what he often does when he's transitioning. He's going to quote an Old Testament passage. Because, and here he quotes from Isaiah 40, all flesh is as grass, and the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers and its flower falls away. These are seeds of the earth that perish, you see. But the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word by which the gospel was preached to you. So another connecting point for why we are to love is because the word of the gospel is sure. It is forever. Now, interestingly enough, Peter quotes from Isaiah 40, verses 6 through 8. What was happening back in Isaiah 40? Is that relevant to us? Well, yes. The context of that passage was God comforting his people with the promise of restoring them from exile. In Babylon. And the nations were persecuting Israel, and those nations were called essentially like fading grass. They're going to pass away. They could not, they would not stop God's promise to restore and to save. Interestingly enough, the very next verse in Isaiah 40, verse 9, is a verse which uses the word or phrase good news. Peter's not just looking for an Old Testament quote to stamp on there like a greeting card. <laughs> no, he's saying the word of the Lord which lives and abides forever, like has already been given through the prophet Isaiah when the people were looking at exile. The word of the Lord endures forever. 
This is the word through which you've been born. Therefore, the word is sure. The certainty of the gospel promise is sure. So we are to love. Perhaps we could summarize our passage this way. The certainty of the gospel promise changes hearts and purifies souls, causing them to love other brothers and sisters. Maybe you walked in this morning and you hear us use this family language. You think to yourself, I've heard of Christians, you Christians calling each other brother and sister. What is that all about? Well, the scripture, the the Bible, the word of God tells us that Christ, the eternal son of God, the second person of the Trinity, who's always been, was promised from the very beginning to come and to save sinners. All the way back after the first two human beings, our representatives, Adam, ate of the tree of which they were not supposed to eat and plunged us into sin, God gave a promise. God gave his word, the gospel promise. There is going to come one who will save. And throughout the first two-thirds of the Bible that we call the Old Testament, the promise of this one is seen over and over and over again. Sometimes it's loud. Sometimes it's like a trumpet. Other times it's kind of very soft and it's there. But eventually Christ comes and he does what I think the prophets of old and the angels of heaven rejoice in and long to see. He puts on flesh. He assumes to himself our very nature. And he lives a perfect life as a human being. And in his 30s, he goes to the cross and dies. And as he's dying, as promised all along, although it might not have been fully known and realized all of those thousands of years, as promised, Christ takes on the sins of all the people who would ever trust in him. The sins meaning the ways that people rebel against God. The injustices, the lack of holiness, the thoughts, the lies, the deeds, all of the immorality. He takes it on himself. And it is punished on Christ. And he dies. But on the third day he is raised. And the scripture calls the third day raised one the first fruits. It also calls him our elder brother. And we, if we have faith in him, come along after him and he is our elder brother. He brings about a new humanity. He brings about a new family. Our last name is no longer Adam because we're not united to him. We're transferred to the kingdom of Christ, the scripture says. And so from early days, Christians looking to Christ as the head of our family started to say to one another, well, you're my brother. You're my sister. Because you've been brought into the same family. The glorious news of this gospel work, this good news of Christ saving sinners, is that anyone, even today in 2023, some 2,000 years removed from his death and resurrection, anyone who hears these words and believes them and receives them will have their soul purified, will have their heart renewed, will have their sins forgiven. 
and will be known in the courtroom of God according to Christ's record and not their own. Can you imagine that, friend? If you're honest with yourself, can you imagine what that would be like to lay down all of the burdens of your past failures? All of the things that you know just aren't right. The deepest thoughts which you will not tell anyone. The actions, the lies, the manipulation, the immorality, all of that. Laying that down and no longer carrying it because it doesn't mark you. Because the God of heaven put on your flesh and took that on himself. And now clothes you in his righteousness. Wouldn't that be glorious? That's what the gospel is. That's why it's literally good news. You and your record are plunged into the death of Christ and into his resurrection. And you're brought into the family. And it's a family that now, because of him, is known amidst, amid other things by what we do. We love. There's the Smith family. There's the Jones family. There's the Davidson family. Historically, centuries ago, this is what we did. Oh, this is your name. This must be what your family does. Guess what? If you're in Christ, you are the family of love. Thankfully, you weren't birthed into that family because God looked down the corridor of time and saw you had a wonderful ability to be a lover of brothers and sisters. But because our elder brother loved to the end. And died for our sins and was raised and wooed us by his spirit and brought us into the family and seated us at his table and gives us a command. Here's who we are, family. You ever had one of those conversations with your family? You ever grow up in your family and your father or mother said, this is our family and this is what we do. Feeding us gently. Loving us kindly, our blessed older brother sits us all down and says, I give you a new command. Here's what our family does. We love. We love because our souls have been purified. We love because we've been born again. And we love because the word of the gospel is sure. Since you have been purified, since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Let's pray. Living God, we pray that the work of Christ and the name that it brings upon us would indeed mark us. That as we've prayed earlier in this service, the world would look almost with utter confusion and say, see how they love one another. But Lord, even more deeply, help us to look not at our love for one another, but first at your love for us in Christ. To see how you have loved us, how Christ has bled for us, how he's clothed us in his righteousness, how he leads us by the Spirit in the pastures of his word. Lord Christ, may we leave this place today with bold gospel rest. And on that hope, seek to boldly love the family to which we have been called.
In Jesus' name, amen.